Well, let's turn now to the Bible, Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and the title of today's message is Signs of a Spirit-Filled Community. And it comes from this last passage or segment of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. I want to wait till you get there so we can read the Word of God together. We're going to start actually with verse 41 and go through verse 47. Here, church, is the Word of God to us this morning. We read, So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we devote ourselves to you and your word this morning, would you please speak to us? Reveal yourself. Reveal the work of your Son through the illuminating work and presence of your Holy Spirit. Would you encourage us this morning? Would you envision us? Would you fill us? Build your church this morning that we may be a spirit-filled community of God right here in Miami Lakes, right here in South Florida. Amen. Amen. Well, I recently decided to change out my framed family photo that's in my office and sits on my credenza. I took out the back portion of the frame to remove my old family portrait. And to my surprise, there were several other older photos beneath it. In fact, perfectly preserved were a number of old family portraits of our early days here in Miami. But my favorite one of all is this photo right here. It's of our family. I just love this photo. Here we have uh, oldest son CJ. We have Annika. We have little Stephen, who was about 15 months at that time. And we have Joel right here. If you can't see it, don't worry. I'll pass it around later. Okay, you guys know. <laughs> Oh, this is one of my most cherished family portraits. Well, church, this morning, 
we're going to look at another family portrait that's been perfectly preserved for us. It's a family portrait of the early church, of our spiritual family, the community of God. It's the early church 2,000 years ago. And we're going to gaze this morning intently at this family portrait. For I believe there are things this morning that the Lord wants to encourage us with and show us right here at Palm Vista. It's why he has preserved this family portrait for us in his holy and inspired word of God, the Bible. But before we get to this family portrait, there's a question which I want to answer kind of as a segue into our passage this morning. It's the same question that I had when I looked at this photo of all our children. I asked this question, how did we get here? (laughs) Now, we have some wise folks out there. I know how we got there, okay? (laughs) What I mean is this. One day we're married, and the next day, Our family's like a half dozen. How did we grow so quickly? How did this happen so quickly? Well, that question could be asked of our text today as well. How did our early church family, our community, come to be and grow so quickly? We find the answer back in chapter 2, verse 41, where we chose to begin the text this morning. And this answer really connects us in our text today, with Pentecost, in the narrative which Bentley so well preached last Sunday. So we read in verse 41 these words again. So those who received his word, that's Peter's message of salvation, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Excuse me, on that day. What was that day? It was Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? I think you know. The awaited, promised Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit was poured out like an ocean liner, tearing, ripping, plowing through an ocean, a sea of people. And there were waves. Oh, there were big waves. There were white caps. There was a tsunami-like wall coming on shore. And in the wake of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 souls were saved on that day. But you know what? That was not the end of the story. It was only the beginning Today, we're going to see and we're going to hear the rest of the story. Please notice this. Souls were not just saved that day. 3,000 souls were not just saved that day. They were added. Added to what? Added to whom? They were added to the church. If you're here this morning and you have placed your saving trust in the crucified Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
You too have been saved. You know what else? This too is your story. This too is your early family portrait. You see, if you were saved, you haven't just been brought to shore, spit up on the beach like a castaway in a Robinson Crusoe novel or a Tom Hanks movie. No. You have been raised. You have been cleansed. You have been added. You have been gathered to God's people, the church, His spirit-filled community. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the signs, the marks, the lifestyle of this spirit-filled community of God called the church. It's our story. It's our family portrait. And I have two simple points this morning derived from looking at this family portrait. We see that, number one, this spirit-filled community was a devoted community. And number two, this spirit-filled community was a growing community. Let's start with point one. This spirit-filled community was a devoted community. We see this in verse 42, where we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What do we notice right out of the chute? That the spirit-filled community was a devoted community. Devoted. It's not really a word that we tend to use much, or at least we reserve the use of this word, don't we? For things that, well, we're really serious about. There's nothing casual about the word devoted. That which we devote ourselves to is that which we commit ourselves to. The word translated here, devote, or devoted in our text, means to intently engage in, to intently engage in, or to attend constantly to. But I think we intuitively grasp that, don't we? The meaning of devote. But what we have a much harder time grasping is what we are to devote our time and our energies to on a daily basis. Let's face it. We live in an ADD culture where people are just about any information. is only a text or a click away. Devotion takes discrimination. We can't be devoted to everyone and everything. We must be selective. We must be discriminating. Furthermore, devotion not only takes discrimination, it takes continual effort. In fact, the word devoted in our ESV text is, a, is in a verb tense which communicates ongoing devotion. I think it's best, perhaps best translated in the New American Standard Version where we read, they were continually devoting themselves. But what exactly was the Spirit-filled community devoting themselves to? Well, we see it right here in verse 42. They devoted themselves to four things, four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, 
and the prayers. Notice the indefinite article, the, before each of these four activities. What I believe is being expressed to your church is not merely a commitment to private study and to private prayers or to private spiritual disciplines, but a commitment to doing it together, corporately, in services, in meetings, as the community of God. And I believe this verse 42 functions as a topic sentence for all that follows, verses 43 through 47, which seem to capture and to inform what this devotion looks like on behalf of this spirit-filled community. These meetings took place in the temple. These meetings took place in the homes. In other words, their devotion to God's word, their devotion to fellowship, their devotion to the prayers could not be contained to one meeting or one place. Why? I think this is important. Because their devotion to these gatherings was an expression of something greater happening in their hearts. It was an expression of a greater devotion. See, it was ultimately not a devotion to an event, but to a set of relationships. A devotion to God and a devotion to one another. Read this text, and you will not come away with some dry sense of duty. There is praising going on. There is awe and wonder. There is loving going on. There is gladness. There is generosity of heart overflowing. Why? Because a devotion in verse 42 was a devotion born out of relationship with God, and with one another. So let's start there. A spirit-filled community is a devoted community that is A, devoted to God. These disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Most plainly, this was the teaching of Christ when he was on earth to the disciples. When he interpreted the Old Testament for them, how the Old Testament spoke of him and pointed to him. For us today, The apostles' teaching are also those that were written down after Pentecost and providentially preserved for us, the New Testament. So to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the equivalent for us today is to be devoted, people. Devoted to God's Word. Old Testament, New Testament, which is the revelation of God, the revelation of Christ to us. A spirit-filled community will be centered upon the Word of God longing for the word of God, hungering for the word of God. This shouldn't be any surprise. We've been given the spirit of truth. The spirit which fills us is the spirit who is illuminating God's word and revealing Christ to us. Oh yeah, the reigning and ruling Christ in heaven right now. I once had the opportunity to sail about a 40-foot sailboat, a poor man's yacht, you could say, to the Bahamas with a group of friends, including my wife. What I didn't know before signing up for this adventure was that I would be assigned to sail or pilot this vessel during the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. shift, the very first night. I remember the captain 
saying to me, Corey, just steer the boat at 23 and a half degrees or something like that, and you'll be fine. We should be in the Bahamas in the morning. The captain said those words, and he went down below and went to sleep. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding. We are going to end up in Cuba. American <laughs> refugees in Cuba. Now, you got to understand, Cindy was five months pregnant with our first child. I'm thinking, great. CJ, our oldest, will be born in Cuba. CJ, you were almost Cuban. Have <laughs> I said? <laughs> oh, what a story! Well, all I can say is that evening, my tired eyes were glued to that compass for two hours straight. A thunderstorm and rain hit us about 3 a.m. I am getting pelted with rain. There is lightning hitting all around. I'm in open water, and it's dark, and it's really dark. I never took my eyes off that compass for two hours. And by the way, by God's grace, we did make it to the Bahamas <laughs> the next morning. I have no clue how. But by him. Church, this spirit-filled community was glued to their compass, the word of God, and the very teaching they had received. Christ, their captain, Oh, he left. He had ascended to heaven. And they weren't about to take their eyes off the apostles' teaching, the word of God. When we gather on Sundays, when we gather what we call our community groups, when we gather for fellowship, where are our eyes? Are they on the word? Are they on Christ? Are they on our Lord and Savior? Church, if we're going to navigate through this world, our eyes better be on the Word of God, His revelation to us, the living Word of God. Why? Oh, that we may see Christ. Because Christ, He's not sleeping as my captain was, He is alive. He's ascended, and he's ruling, and he's reigning right now. Oh, may we see him. And that leads to the next verse, verse 43, where we read these words. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. As the disciples fixed their eyes on the apostles' teaching and on fellowship and on the risen Christ, there was awe, a sense of awe. No sleepy devotion or dry duty here. Why? Because they realized God, Christ, was in their midst. Because Christ was revealing himself not only through his word, but through wonders and signs through miracles which we're going to read about in the book of Acts book of Acts even next week 
these wonders and signs done by the apostles served, yes, to authenticate the authority and divine origin of the apostles' teaching, which they were studying and receiving. But these signs also did something else. They showed that Christ, through his spirit, was in their midst, not only in word, but in deed as well. And there was an awe. There was a holy fear. No, the captain wasn't sleeping. He was right there with them, empowering them, revealing himself to them through his mighty acts. The New American Standard Version of the Bible translates and captures this ongoing nature of this awe, where it says in verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Don't you love that? As they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word, they continually felt and experienced a sense of awe. This wasn't a one-time emotional experience. It was a pervasive Christ, Christocentric God consciousness that permeated their community. To quote commentator David Peterson, verse 43, quote, suggests, an enduring sense of awe inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst so that they were witnesses of the final drama and indeed participants, excuse me, participants in it. Do you have a sense of awe when we gather? God is here. God is at work. And we, church, are the participants in his great work of redemption. We don't gather here on Sundays just for me to teach and for you to listen. This is no lecture that's occurring this morning. This is no pep talk. This is no show. Right now, God is addressing us through his word and wants to reveal himself and his son to you. As we gather and as we worship, God is wanting to reveal himself as we meet and as we minister. And what should be the result? It's awe. It's a fear. It's a knowledge that God is among us. And this very devotion to God through his word should always lead to a devotion to one another, God's people. Where devotion to God leads to an appropriate fear or awe, devotion to one another leads to freedom. And that leads to the second point. A devoted community is devoted to God and be devoted to one another. We read back in verse 42 that the believers also devoted themselves to the fellowship. The familiar word translated fellowship, koinonia, has to do with sharing. To share with someone something above and beyond 
the relationship itself. What was it that this spirit-filled community shared? Well, they shared a common devotion to God. Just covered that. But that's not all they shared. Moving on to verse, in verse 42, they shared in the breaking of bread, of table fellowship. They shared in the prayers. And yes, even in their own possessions. We read in verse 44 and 45, quote, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Church, this wasn't a one-time sell-off or commitment to live a communal lifestyle. It was rather an ongoing selling, an ongoing giving of their possessions in response to the particular real and material needs of their own community. As the New American Standard Version puts it once again, they were selling and were sharing. In other words, it was a lifestyle. So much so that they considered their possessions, their private possessions, as that which didn't belong merely to them, but that which was shared with those who were in need. So much so that Luke could say, they, quote, had all things in common. They gave as there was need. And what that implies is this. They knew the needs of their own community. And they were ready to share what they had. Do you know the needs, the physical needs, and the material needs, in addition to, this, in addition to the spiritual needs of those around you? It's sometimes difficult, isn't it? Even a church our size, about 200. It's one of the reasons that we have small groups that we're calling community groups. I'll mention those more later. It's why we encourage relationships outside of these Sunday mornings. So many of you are here on a Sunday morning with a smile on your face. I believe it's genuine. It's a work of God. But I know so many of you as well have real, practical, physical, material needs as well. A spirit-filled community will not be indifferent to the physical and material needs of its family. To neglect one's family is abominable in the sight of the Lord. 1 Timothy 5.8 To care for the poor, to care for the needy, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow in our midst is a sign of restored Israel. It's a mark of the church. And any spirit-filled community will reflect such care. But you won't give if you don't plan or purpose in your heart to do so. You see, the stewardship of your money and your possessions is not just about what I can spend or what I can keep. It's also about what I can give away. Oh, church, if you're just casually 
unthinkingly spending your money and consuming resources with no regard to your spiritual family, may I appeal to you. Do not neglect the words, the commands, and the examples of Scripture. Do not neglect those who are here in your midst. I don't want you to miss out on the joy, the generosity, and the liberality of giving freely. And I don't want those who receive to miss out either. Are we willing? Are we devoted? We see that fellowship entails not only a sharing of our common faith, not only a sharing of our common possessions, but we also see a sharing of common meals together as well. And for those early disciples, table fellowship wasn't just a social occasion. Yeah, let's go to Chipotle and grab a meal or go out to Brio or go to my house, we'll have a pizza. Oh, it was more than that. It was more than that. To share a meal together was food for their hungry souls and it was food for their hungry stomachs as well. It was a means of grace, a means of spiritual and physical provision. We read in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Going to verse 7, excuse me, going into verse 47, praising God. Don't you love that description? With glad and generous hearts, praising God. Both in verse 42 and verse 46, we read of this, the breaking of bread. Later in church history, the breaking of bread came to refer to the taking of communion or the Lord's Supper during a worship service, like we do here at Palm Vista every third Sunday of the month. But I believe its usage here speaks of actual meals shared together, of table fellowship, of friendship, of provision and intimacy as believers shared their lives, their food, and their devotion to God and to one another. What they did, they did together. Whether in the temple or in private homes, whether studying or in worship, whether in sharing in their meals or sharing their possessions, they weren't a commune. They were something better. They were a community a community of God that was spirit-filled and they were devoted to one another. You see, what characterized this spirit-filled community was not only a devotion to God, not only a God consciousness, but a people consciousness as well that pervaded all their life. Friends, does that describe you? Could this be said of you? I'm not asking if you have friends or you enjoy hanging out with people. I'm asking, are you devoting yourself to intentional fellowship, to sharing, yes, sharing your life, your time, and your possessions, and your prayers with other believers? As much as you may devote time 
to what you call your daily devotions, your private disciplines, your study of the word and prayer. If you're doing that privately, I commend you. Keep doing it. But are you devoting yourself to one another? Especially if we're devoting ourselves to God. They go and work together. It's the mark of the church, of a spirit-filled community. Listen, if you are devoted to God, you will be devoted to one another. Do you think of devotion in those terms? Notice that verse 46 begins with these, this phrase, and day by day. You see, a spirit-filled community is about more than a 90-minute service right here where we come to sing a few songs, to hear a sermon preached, and then just go home to live our own separate lives until next Sunday. A spirit-filled community cannot be contained to a Sunday morning. Why? Because a spirit-filled community is ultimately about, not about one event or just one meeting. It's about shared relationships based on a common devotion to God that spills over into our corporate meetings, into our meetings in our homes, in our conversation, in our service to one another. That's the picture we see here. But please hear this as well. I am grateful that each and every one of you are here this morning. I know some of you, because of your schedule, it is very difficult for you to meet with others during the course of the week. Your schedule does not regularly permit you to do so. I also know there's moms here with many young children. It's just hard enough to get dressed in the morning. And you may say, yeah, Corey, I want to meet with others. Believe me, I just settle for a cup of coffee with an adult, let alone sharing a meal together. I understand. But here's my question. Is a devotion to fellowship your disposition? Is it your desire? Are you making the attempt? I'm not asking if you attend a community group the previous Wednesday. I'm not asking even if you saw anyone from our church this past week. I'm asking, are you praying? Are you seeking to get to know others? to experience biblical fellowship and life together. We have formed community groups to do just that, to facilitate just that. For those who are new at Palm Vista, our community groups, formerly called home groups, are simply small groups of individuals who meet in different homes, in different locations, in Dade and Broward counties, we have set time aside twice a month when we gather and devote ourselves to the word and to one another for the purpose of caring for one another, for the purpose of biblical fellowship, for the purpose of growing together in godliness. And this happens on the first and third Wednesdays currently of every month. We're also seeking to grow and to reach out and to build relationships with our larger, often unchurched community. 
throughout the month as well. But maybe you hear this and you say, Corey, that's, well, that's, that's well and good. But couldn't all this sharing of one's possessions and meals just kind of happen organically, naturally, in an unplanned way? Well, yes and amen. We want that to happen. We hope it does. But structure can also be a means of grace for many of us in our lives. It can help, you know, give that nudge, that little accountability when we get just stuck. You've been stuck in just your lethargy and your passivity. When we know that we have committed to a group of individuals, when we have committed to gathering, we have committed to fellowshipping on a regular basis. See, as pastors, we realize and we believe that Sunday morning alone is not sufficient to continually devote ourselves to the word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers in such a way that the physical and the spiritual needs of 200 people can be met. That's why we've established another smaller context, which we call our calling community groups. That's why we're seeking in January this year to realign some of our community groups geographically as well. At least attempting to offer a community group near you. Why? So you can share life, that you can share fellowship, and you can even share meals together as well without having to drive 30 or 45 minutes unless you choose to. That's why we're removing the expectation that every group meet on Wednesday night in a certain home. Why? Because a spirit-filled community isn't an event. It's a devoted lifestyle to Christ-centered relationships that can't be contained or limited to a middle school right here on Sundays or only to a particular home on Wednesday evenings. Friends, what we see in this picture of a spirit-filled community is not dry duty nor formality, not just a bunch of meetings on a calendar. What we see here is joyful devotion. Do you know such joy in fellowship? Do you know such joy in sacrifice? Do you know such joy in gathering? You can. It's the fruit of the Spirit, this joy. And it's the fruit of a Spirit-filled community as well. As we devote ourselves to God, we will fear Him and His Word. And we will be free to give to one another. Free to give and free to share with God's people with glad and generous hearts. And you know what else? When we seek to live out our shared community in our larger community, that is when we display and steward our relationships to bless and to serve our wider community, there will be favor. There will be opportunities to share our faith. And I trust there will be conversions. The fear of God 
and the freedom of the fellowship will lead to favor with a watching world. Let's look at the last two verses. Verse 46 and 47, we read, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, church, please notice from this passage, day-by-day devotion led to day-by-day conversions in the early church. A devoted community leads to a growing community. And that's our last point, Roman numeral two. A spirit-filled community, it's a devoted community, and it's a growing community. A spirit-filled community is a growing community. Yes, growth and maturity, yes and amen. But I also believe from the book of Acts, a spirit-filled community is a numerically growing community as well. One author and respected pastor once made this comment, quote, our goal ought to be to build the largest and deepest churches we can. I want our legacy to be one of transformation and growth. And this pastor, he wasn't referring just to church transfer growth. He was referring to conversion growth. Souls saved, lives radically changed and added to the church. Is that how you think? Is that how you pray? Don't be mistaken. I do want to be clear here. As we read in verse 47, it's the Lord. It's the Lord who added to their number day by day. This was not man's doing, and neither is it today. And I could build bridges here. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, for reasons unknown to us, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We have seen both, haven't we? Right here at Palm Vista. Some churches grow rapidly. Others struggle to maintain. Numbers do not tell the whole story. But church, I do not want us to hide in resignation behind God's sovereignty. When I read these verses, my heart is stirred. Is yours? I think the point is clear. A spirit-filled community is a growing community, or at least that is the expectation. And I don't believe it's an expectation for the early church alone. A fear of God and freedom of fellowship within our church community will lead to favor outside our community. But, but, we can only have favor with, quote, all people if the people outside our community know us and can see us. Family portraits 
do no good in the closet. We must take our portrait out of the closet. We must display it for the world to see. That's where our community groups, in particular, will be structured to foster interaction and ministry outside the walls of our homes and this middle school. Each group will be seeking to leverage the relationships here at Palm Vista to serve our wider network of relationships. And we all have them. Our neighbors, our coworkers, and also a variety of city ministries that we're related to. This may mean joining together to serve a neighbor by fixing his fence, getting to know the coach or parents of a member, a member child sports team. It may mean hosting a barbecue or hosting a holiday celebration and inviting coworkers. Maybe volunteering to serve at Heartbeat of Miami Crisis Pregnancy Center, as some of you are already doing, as well as his house orphanage, and much, much more. All with the intent of blessing, of serving, of exporting our relationships into the wider community, that we may build relationships, that we may build trust, that we may build a bridge, and yes, share the gospel with them. This doesn't mean that some people won't despise you or hate the message of the cross. Some will. But I believe this passage means this. Our witness is strongest and most convincing, most convicting, and most persuasive when it is done in community. Why? To quote Pastor Bradhouse, basically the witness of community is more powerful than an individual witness. That is, living in light of the gospel is much harder in community where people sin against you. Isn't that true? Living in community, it's tough. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. Just look at our broken families. They're on every block. Relationships are hard work. Devotion to God, devotion to one another is hard work. Do you have the work ethic? Do you have the devotion? You're not alone. You have God's word and you have his empowering spirit as well. A spirit-filled community, excuse me, a spirit-filled community will put in the hard work. A spirit-filled community, a church, will fear God, will freely give, and will receive favor. And for those watching us, those receiving from us, they will see our love for one another. They will know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one, another, for one another and our love for them as well. Church, we will grow. 
I pray we will. A spirit-filled community is a growing community. And there are more yet to come into our family. Remember that photo I shared with you. My old family portrait. Well, on that day last week, or two weeks ago, I put another photo in my photo frame. Because the Smidgen family has grown, has matured. I also grown numerically. I added this photo to the photo frame. Our adopted daughter, daughter Lana, who we've had now for six wonderful months. Thank you, Lord. And we read in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One life, one soul, and one person at a time. Church, there are more sons and there are more daughters that God wants to add to our church. Lord, do it right here at Palm Vista. Let's pray. And the worship team, come on up. Dear Lord, I do ask that you would put in us a holy anticipation, a holy expectation in us as you fill us as your community, as Palm Vista Community Church. Lord, we ask that you would reign in us. Oh, Lord, that your spirit would fill us. And as you reign in us, may you draw others into our family, that they too may worship the risen and the exalted Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen. Let's rise. Let's sing. Rain in us.